open your Bibles too, if you will. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at the Word of God together. If you followed the news this week, I believe it was Wednesday when Mark Anthony Condit, a 23-year-old young man, uh, blew himself up in his vehicle as the uh, uh, chief of police of Austin, Texas, others were approaching to uh, apprehend him. He was the bomber who had been terrorizing uh, in Austin now for several weeks. Apparently, he left a, uh, a confessional uh, recording, a video on his phone. Um, he talks for some number of minutes, but never mentions terrorism or hatred or anything like that. So at the end of it, uh, nobody has any idea why. 23-year-old kid would build devices to, uh, uh, to, to, to kill people. He was... Uh, first uh, identified and they began to find him once he appeared on a Federal Express, a FedEx video. He was mailing a bomb. He was mailing it to a, its target. And he had chosen a name to put on the, the address. And the name he chose was Kelly Kilmore. Kilmore. Um, Mark Condit, though, was from a Christian family. Everyone who knew him uh, says they don't understand how in the world this kid could become a killer. His family was a good godly family, a very tight-knit family. Mark lives just a couple of doors up from his parents. They say he visited his parents all the time. His parents are known in the neighborhood because they have this giant small group that meets at their house on Sunday nights. The church home group meets in their house, and all the neighbors recognize on Sunday night they'll nearly shut the street down with people meeting there for Bible study. Mark and his brothers and sisters were homeschooled. They were raised to love Jesus and to separate themselves from the world. After all of this happened, and it was obvious that Mark was the guilty one, uh, as they typically do, they drag the neighbors out and interview them about the family. And over and over and over, neighbors would simply say that this is a good family. These are good people. This was a Christian family. Mark was a good kid. People who've known Mark all of his life would say this was a fun kid. This was a kid who loved games. This was a quiet kid. This was a very polite kid. One family member, though, is quoted as saying, no one would have had any idea the darkness that was in his heart. You know, if you watch the news, as I sometimes do, then, then like me, you're used to this. Anytime they arrest some monster killer who suddenly, you know, now been apprehended, they always drag the neighbors out and ask the neighbors about this family or about this person. And the neighbors always say the same things. The neighbors will always say, he was so normal. Always they say that. He was so normal. Nobody could have known. He was so normal. He was so quiet. He was such a good neighbor. He was so normal. I, I guess one of the first lessons we need to learn is to stop being surprised at, at, at this. For the basic reason that every normal person has some degree of darkness in them. I do. You do. God knows. We all do. This darkness is what the Bible calls sin. It is sin, and sin is in your life just as it was in the heart of Mark and just as it is in my heart as well. Sin is a part of every single one of our existence. It is inevitable. It is undeniable. It is the problem behind all of your problems. The sooner you could recognize that, the sooner you could realize that although you have many, many problems, that sin is really your main problem. It is the problem beneath all your other problems. If you could soon realize that you really only have one problem, then you could recognize that there is only one solution, which brings us to Hebrews chapter 10. 
If you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, you know that it often goes back and talks a good bit about the Old Testament way, the Old Testament system under the law. And Hebrews chapter 10 does that as well. We're talking about the old system of sacrifices at the temple and comparing that now to what God has done through Jesus. This is good. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under this system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. Verse 8, first Christ said you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, although they are required by the law of Moses. Then Jesus said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. I'm going to read that verse again, verse 10. For God's will was that for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. What is there to do about the problem of sin? I know I'm a preacher and you're in a Baptist church and, and sin is not a word that you use in other parts of your life. It's not a word our culture uses. It, it is a religious word. It's a biblical word. And most of us don't think biblically about our own lives. But, but sin is the word that scripture continually applies to me and you. We are all sinners. Being stubborn as we are, though, we tend not to ever admit that or, or accept that. And, and so for most of us, we have a way of, of, of maybe thinking about sin or hearing verses like that and then excusing ourselves as if it doesn't apply to us. Andy Stanley says the way we do this is most of us, instead of thinking of ourselves as sinners, we simply think of ourselves as mistakers. In other words, I don't really sin, but, but I make a lot of mistakes. I'm not perfect. You know, I drive the wrong way up a one-way road. I use the hairspray for deodorant sometimes, you know, you know, this, that, that sort of thing. You know, that's the sort of thing that, that I do. You know, I, I get the cat food and the tuna, you know, mixed up sometimes in the cabinet. You know, I mean, we make mistakes, that sort of thing. But, you know, who doesn't? You know, I don't know what I was thinking. This is the way we are, and we're used to that. So for the most part, when it comes to our own wrongdoing, we make the same sort of excuses, the same sort of explanations. We somehow find a way that no matter what it is we do, it wasn't sin. It was something else. It wasn't me. I don't know what I was thinking. Everybody makes mistakes, but we rarely call it what it is. The problem is 
a lot of what I do and a lot of what you do that is wrong, it's not so innocent and it's not so absent-minded. The very definition of sin is to know better but do otherwise. So you always know better and you always know you have another choice. You just choose your sin. Not always honest about it, but this is what you do. In other words, you choose to be unkind when kindness would have been just as easy to choose. You choose to tell a lie when a truth would have served just as well. You understand? We, we choose this. We deliberately choose our sin. But we don't call it sin, and we rarely, rarely ever think of ourselves as people who really have a problem with this sort of thing. Still, this is the truth that God himself says about us. He who knows all of our hearts says that we're all sinners. All of us sin. This is your problem. You may have other problems, but this is the problem behind all of your problems. You have sin like a ticking bomb in the very bottom of your heart. What are you going to do about it? Well, we have several strategies. Let's talk about those. First off, we just try to hide it. I mean, there are things, I know they're in my life. I understand that there are consequences to my sin. So for the most part, I just try to hide my sin. I just hide it. I hide it. Now, I can't really keep myself from seeing it, but, but as much as I can, I try to blow enough smoke where nobody else sees it. I, I hide my sin. Now, I, I think you've discovered this, but in case you haven't, let me tell you, church is a magnificent place to hide sin. Church is a magnificent place because you can roll into church and actually listen to a, you know, somebody talk about sin. And we talk about sin in general a lot of the times, and we often talk about the sins of the world, this evil world that's all going to hell. I mean, we talk about other people's sin, and that's the amazing thing. In church, we can talk about sin in general, but we never really ever get around to talking about sin in particular, as in your sin. And as long as it's not your sin that we're talking about, you're cool. I mean, we can talk about other people's sins as much as you want. That's the way we blow the smoke. You see, we can get everybody looking at other people's sins, and then we never, ever have to have people, you know, looking at us in such a way where our sins can be exposed. We just hide our sin. Church is a magnificent place to hide sin. Now, the problem is, of course, you can't really hide sin from the only one who really matters, the only one who will really judge you, and that is the Lord God. He sees he knows. He knows what's in your heart better than you know what's in your heart. You're never going to hide your sin from the only one who really matters. But, but still, we try. Our other strategy, and this, this is really a lot of us, especially church folks, we just try to balance. We try to balance all the bad things we've done with good things. And, and we tend to think that we do a pretty good job. Boy, you know, Pastor Tim, I, I mess up an awful lot, but still, I try to be a good neighbor. Yeah, as if somehow you could be such a good neighbor that it somehow balances out all the other things you do, all the other things you've done. You know, we just try to balance the, the bad with the good. You know, I neglect my wife at home every single day, so I send her flowers at work. You know, thinking that this magical bouquet of flowers somehow balances out the way I treat her like a dog all the time. You know, we somehow fool ourselves into thinking that that actually works. We live like hell, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but we roll into church on Sunday, just bright and spit shined as if somehow that, that weekly church attendance balances out everything else we do with the rest of our lives. You, certainly, you know, this doesn't work. 
Certainly you know that, that, that you can't ignore the poor in our community all year long and then just show up with a fruit basket on Thanksgiving and magically that balances it out. It makes you feel wonderful about yourself. You, you try to balance out the bad with the good. The problem is you and I are forever overestimating how good we are and underestimating the weight of our sin. It doesn't balance. You will never balance it out. It just doesn't work that way. And I think at the bottom of your heart, you must know this. You must know that sin always has a price to pay. It always has its wages. And somehow I think you know that subconsciously or consciously, you recognize that that somebody's got to pay. And in one way or the other, that somebody is you. The soul that sins shall die is what the Bible says. You know you got to pay. So I think either consciously or subconsciously, a lot of us just punish ourselves. We live a life of of constantly acting out our own punishment. You ever seen that person that every single time something good happens in their life, they'll do something to blow it up? You ever seen that person? Or the person that goes from relationship to relationship and they don't ever, they, they never seem to get it right. And it's always somehow their own fault. We sabotage our own lives. It's as if some people deny themselves the right to a single moment of happiness or constantly punishing themselves. For whatever reason, you, you don't feel worthy of happiness. You, you, you feel better when you're on the, 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 the opposite side of things. You, you, you somehow rather would suffer. And you might not say that, you know, with your mouth or even in your mind, but but this is the way you live your life. Some people will find a church that will punish them. They'll find a preacher who will just blister them every single Sunday. I mean, just preach. I mean, just pour hot coals of, of fire and brimstone on their head. And people love that because then they go on their way. They feel like they've been punished and that helps them. That they've suffered through a Sunday of scalding preaching, and so therefore they're free to live their lives the rest of the week. Have you not seen churches that operate that way? You can find a church that'll punish you. Some of us, we just find other people that will punish us, or maybe one person. You ever seen people who do that? You'll find a person who will treat you horribly, and so you being you, you just move in with them. I mean, they treat you horrible, so you move in with them so they can treat you horribly 24 hours a day, seven days a week forever. You understand? You ever stop to consider that, that this, this self-punishment that you've chosen as a way of life, it, it is somehow related to this problem behind all your other problems? The problem is your sin. The, the problem is your sin. And honestly, the truth of Scripture is devastating. Romans 6, 23, Paul says, the wages of sin is, say the word, death. <laughs> sin has its wages. Sin has its consequences. Uh, the word wages, or what does that mean, the word wages? Somebody define it. Yeah, it's what you earn. Yeah, you, you get a paycheck at the end of the week, at the end of the month. That's what you've earned by doing your job. And what you earn by sinning is death. Sin has its wages. And make no mistake, somebody's going to pay. And the wages of sin is death, so make no mistake, somebody's got to die. Which brings us to Hebrews chapter 10. It's beautiful. 
Hebrews chapter 10 starts in verse 1, talking about the old system of sacrifice. Do y- y'all know what that means when, when, there's, when Hebrews refers to that, the old system of sacrifice? We're talking about the Old Testament way of worshiping at the temple. Now, this is before Jesus has come, before the sacrifice and death of Jesus. And so understand that the sacrifice at the temple still had to do with the only problem that we all have, and that problem is sin. Worship at the temple was all about sin. It was all about somehow trying to pay the price of sin. But what happened under the old system of sacrifice? Obviously, the price of sin has to be paid. There has to be death. There has to be bloodshed. So whose blood was shed in the old system? Animals, exactly right. Animals, uh, bulls, goats, sheep, you know, lambs, that, that sort of thing. Whenever worshipers would come to the temple, they would bring with them their sacrifice, their offering. Now, make no mistake, this is a sin offering. Somebody's got to die. And according to the old system, that somebody would be the, the animal, the bull, the, the goat, the, the lamb, in some case, the, the, the birds. I mean, there will be bloodshed. You perhaps looked a little bit into the way worship was in the Old Testament. Maybe you've seen the diagrams of the way the altar was constructed and how it was constructed and how it sat in relation to the Holy of Holies and the the different temple courts. Maybe you've seen all of that. But one thing we hardly ever really illustrate is what the worship actually looked like. Do you not understand? It was the slaughter of animals. Blood flowed endlessly. It wasn't just that the altar was constructed there in reference to the Holy of Holies. There were literal gutters carved in the pavement because somehow or another, the blood has to flow away. The blood flowed endlessly. Because the wages of sin is death, someone has to die and there must be bloodshed. This is what sin brings. Now, this is what's strange, though, and this is the beautiful part about this passage. The old system under the law of Moses, verse 1, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. What? What are they for? I mean, it says plainly, these sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide cleansing. You could slaughter all the bulls and goats in the world and you would never, ever purchase a forgiveness of our sins. Do you understand? It was never going to do that. It was never going to work. So what was it for? I mean, exactly what was it for? Why are we doing this? God is the one who set this system in place through Moses. It's God who told them how to build the altar. It's God who told them how to slaughter the animals. This was God's system. What's it for? Is there some thinking that God didn't know that this wouldn't work? Of course not. Why did God have them go through this? Why did they have to act out this bloody, horrible ritual day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? Why did they have to continue to go through this if it's never, ever going to cleanse them? It was never meant to cleanse them. That wasn't its purpose. It was never going to do that, but it did have a purpose. What does it say? Verse 3, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. 
The sacrifices reminded the people of their sins. The sacrifices continued to put in front of the people the very simple principle that the wages of sin is death. Something has to die. Something needs to bleed. The soul that sins, it shall die. Do you understand? Sin is always going to get its wages paid. At the temple, year after year, they would continue to watch the blood flow endlessly. The blood of animals. It could never, ever cleanse us of sin. Now, why is that exactly? Why couldn't a sacrifice like that work? Well, in some ways, it's kind of simple. Animals don't sin. Now, I got the world's dumbest dog, and she does a lot of things that I don't like that she, you know, that, that she would do. I mean, she pees on a rug, among other things she does on a rug. I mean, there are lots of lines. I say, bad dog, you know, but at the same time, she's not going to go to hell. I mean, she's a dog, y'all. I mean, animals don't sin. In all of God's creation, God filled the earth with all of these magnificent creatures, and I love animals. And one of the reasons you got to love animals is a simple way that they praise God perfectly. My dog praises God perfectly because she's just a dog all day long. God created her to be that. God created her to chase squirrels, and God created her to bark and bark and bark and run and run and run, and apparently occasionally peel on my rug. I mean, God just created her as a dog, and she is a dog all day long. She's never tried to be anything other than a dog. God's Creation is like that. Everything just praises him perfectly. Everything just fulfills the the divine purpose for which it was made. Everything in all creation is like that. The birds and the trees, the beasts of the field, the flowers. I mean, everything just simply does what it was created to do. Everything except, except human beings. And all of God's creation, this is part of what makes us different. We are different. We were created differently. We were created in the very image of our maker. We were created to to, to bear his image. In, In other words, that means that in this world, we're the closest thing to the creator that you'll find. Something about us bears his image. Something about us is able to conceive of him. Something about us is able to know him and understand his love for us. Something about us, something about the way God makes us, makes us capable of worship, makes us capable of relationship with the God who has made us. But something about the way we are also means that we turn. We turn from him. Of all the creatures in all of creation, we're the only ones that simply refuse to be what God created us to be. We simply refuse to walk in fellowship with him. We simply refuse to surrender to his purposes for us. We all like sheep have gone astray. We all go each to our own way. We sin. Every one of us sins. And only human beings sin. So understand, there aren't enough animals in the world to pay for human sin because animals don't sin. We sin. Humans sin. And so if there's going to be a death for sin, it's got to be a human sacrifice. That sounds brutal, doesn't it? It's got to be a human sacrifice. Human sin is the problem human sacrifice. God knows, but God loves us. God loves us. After all of this, he loves us. 
And God is not willing that a single one of us die like that. Even though we deserve it, and even though it's, it, it's he that we sin against, God still loves us. And in all of his mercy, and, and for all of the truth of the basic principle, the wages of sin is death. And even though you and I have sinned, he still doesn't want us to die for it. But sin has its wages, and these wages are going to be paid. I mean, there's got to be a death. Somebody's got to die, and it's got to be a human. So what did God do? It's amazing. The the blood of bulls and goats was never, ever going to take away our sins. Verse 5, that is why Christ came. That is why Christ came. Verse 5, when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. What are we talking about? We're talking about a God who loved the world so much that he sent his only son so that whosoever believes in him shall not die, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We're talking about a God who loved us so much that he was not willing that a single one of us die for sins. So what does he do? The unthinkable, the indescribable. To this day, it's nearly unexplainable. He came down. God himself came down and he became human. Totally God, but at the same time, totally human. And he lived a human life, just like mine, just like yours. He was human. Jesus was human. Completely God, but completely human. And he lived a completely sinless life. Now, he's tempted in all the ways that you and I were tempted. It was on every single day of his life as likely that he could face sin as that we would face sin. The difference is he never fell into it. Not one time. Not even in the smallest of ways. He never sinned. So when Jesus reached the end of his life, understand there were no sins wages to be paid for him. He who knew no sin became sin itself so that we could become the righteousness of God. If there's a death for sin, understand it's got to be human. So God himself came down, became human and he died for us. He died in your place. He died in my place. Verse 10, God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Once for all time, for all people. That's why worship now involves an altar that we can carpet in really nice carpeting because we don't have to spill blood anymore. And we never will again. The price has been paid. All of the penalty for our sins, all of the punishment, it was taken by him. Did you understand? This is the gospel. This is the message of salvation. This is how you get forgiveness. That that sin that ticks like a bomb in the bottom of your heart, that darkness in you that most other people don't even see. They don't even know it's in you, but you know it's in you. Do you understand? This is how that gets removed. This is how that sin is taken away. This is how you don't have to spend your whole life feeling guilty anymore. This is how you don't have to go through your whole life seeking punishment anymore. The punishment's been paid. Nobody's trying to punish you anymore. You're forgiven. God invites you simply to walk in mercy and grace and his love. You can walk in friendship with him. The price for your sin has been paid. So how does it work? Very, very simply, it starts here. Now, I say it's simple, but that doesn't make it easy. You got to admit your sin. That means you just got to stop. 
You got to stop saying, yeah, I might sin, but my daddy was worse. I'm just like my daddy. You know, quit blaming your father. He's been dead for 20 years. Admit your sin. You're not a jerk because your dad was a jerk. You're a jerk because you're a jerk. Admit your sin. Just admit it. Stop trying to explain it away. Stop trying to excuse it away. Stop trying to call it something else. Stop trying to blame others. Stop trying to say you're not as bad as others. It doesn't matter about others. You stand all by yourself naked before God who knows the darkness in your heart and he knows your sin. That's why the scripture says you must confess your sin. You confess. Confess means literally to say with. It means to agree with. So basically, admitting your sin just means once and for all, you just stop calling it something else and you just finally agree with God. Just agree with him. Agree with the judgment that he places over your life. You are a sinner. And because of your sin, you are condemned and deserving of death. I mean, just admit that. Receive that. It's true for you. It's true for all of us. All of us have sinned and fallen short. Just admit your sin. Admitting sin brings you to that place of just surrender. I mean, most of us come into salvation. It starts with some sort of prayer. And some of you in this house are not saved, but you still would say you pray. You pray all the time. You're all the time praying to God, God, you know, help me. God, you know, heal me. God, take care of this. God, take care of that. God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. And, and maybe you've prayed a lot, but you've never prayed with a heart that was surrendered to him. Just surrender. Give up. Stop trying to run your own life. Stop trying to sit on the throne of your own life. If you're going to surrender to God, and if he really is God, then he's going to have to be God in your life. That means you have to obey him. You have to stop fighting him. You you surrender and just simply accept God's forgiveness. You just accept it. There's not a thing you can do to earn it. Remember the whole deal where you're trying to balance out the bad things with the good things? It doesn't work. Jesus has done it all for you. All you can do is accept it. Just accept it. Surrender your heart and accept his forgiveness. You're not even guilty anymore. Do you understand? Your sin is taken away. God is no longer bringing it up. He's not trying to remind you of it. What he wants to remind you of is your forgiveness. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You're free. I mean, remember what the verse says. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift. You're not going to earn it. The only thing you've ever earned is death because of your sin. You can't earn salvation. That's why it's given to you as a gift. You can't buy it. That's why Jesus paid the price. Your problem is sin. My problem is sin. I've got relationship problems, you know, but every relationship problem is a sin problem. I've got money problems, but think it through. Every money problem is a sin problem. You got problems with your habits, addictions, hang-ups, hurts. The bottom of all of that, it's a sin problem. You got lots of problems, but you really only got one problem. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you'll recognize 
There's only one solution. Make no mistake and stop being surprised about it. Every normal person has a degree of darkness in their heart. The Bible calls that sin. It is the ticking time bomb with which you continue to blow up your life. You have one problem, and there is one answer, and his name is Jesus. Pray with me. Jesus, some of us have heard this message all of our lives. And some of us, Lord, at some point we surrendered to it. We we recognized the truth of it. We were tired of being guilty and feeling guilty. We were tired of being punished and waiting for the punishment to fall upon us, Lord. We were just tired of trying so hard to be good all the time, knowing, Lord, that we can never be the person that we want to be that you created us to be. Lord, we heard the message of grace and forgiveness, and so we called upon your name. We thank you for salvation. But Lord, others, in the sound of my voice, Lord, have also heard this message. Maybe today for the first time, but, but probably not. Lord, some of us have heard it for years and years and years, and we somehow always manage to get away from it. We we wait till the service is over. We rush out the door and try to forget that feeling that we had in your presence, God, when we felt you knocking on the door of our hearts. Lord, when our sin is exposed, we, we, we don't like to look at that darkness. We don't like to see what's really inside of ourselves. Lord Jesus, we don't like to see ourselves the way you see us. For that reason, we typically run from truth. We, we run from the gospel, even though it can only save us, Lord, that salvation at first feels like a kind of death, Lord, and we run from it. The death that brings us life, Lord, we run from it. Lord, I pray today for every man, woman, boy, and girl, every sinful soul, Lord, that they would stop running from you, that they would hear the truth of the gospel message. And Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in every heart to confirm the truth of what we've said. Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to face the truth of our own sin and accept the promise of your forgiveness because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, some of us have lived with guilt for so long. Let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day, Lord, where we walk out of this place free and not guilty anymore. Let today be the day, Lord, where we choose to say yes to you and not no for all of these number of times. Lord, let us say yes to you and not no. Holy Spirit, convict hearts today. Lord, I am never able to preach this message with the power and and, and the grace that it deserves, Lord Jesus, but it's not my message, it's yours. So, Holy Spirit, take the gospel straight to the heart of every person who hears this prayer. Bring them to a moment of truth and salvation. I pray these things through the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.